It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Chop slowly. Oh, there's a situation at third. The throw is to first. Now they'll throw to second. Runners are hung up. They're going to come home with the throw. They have Simeon in a rundown. He's tagged out. Throw to third. It's a triple play. They pulled a triple play. Second one of the year, and this one falls under the heading of Funky. That was Michael K. Last night, he knew he was going to come on the show and wanted to be able to have a definitive call to help sell his book, Center Stage, My Most Fascinating Interviews. And the voice of the play-by-play, longtime voice of the New York Yankees on the Yes Network, joins us now when he's not doing his radio show or calling Yankee games. uh, He's writing books and doing interviews on the Yes Network. Michael, welcome. Brian, I did that call for you. I hope you liked it. Yeah, I know. Special thanks to the Yankees for helping you out. That was interesting. You have to see how this thing unfolds. To see it on television was wild. Did you know what you were calling? Did you realize where this could be heading? Like, I don't even know what a play-by-play guy thinks in something like this because isn't it the first time it's ever happened? Well, that that particular sequence is the first time it's yeah. ever happened in the history of baseball. And, and as you could tell when I sit slow rollers, there's a situation at third. So in the corner of my eye, I saw that both runners were at third base, and he threw to first. So I knew they'd get at least two. And this is like the second triple play they've had this year, Brian. And it's the first time in the history of the Yankees they've had two triple plays in one season. Incredible. And it's been one of those incredible years. Before we get to your book, just a a few things in the news. Tell us about what's going on with this substance, pitchers, and the pushback. They're allowed to use a substance, basically, that allows them to grip the ball better and possibly gives them an advantage to the point where nobody was hitting. So to the point where the commissioner acts, tell everybody what's going on. Well, obviously, the first two months of baseball, Brian, it, it was not a good product. It was not a good product to watch. There was no hitting. There were so many strikeouts, strikeouts, walks, and occasional home run. There was no action on the bases at all. So when you look at it, you have to decide why. Well, one of the reasons is the way baseball is played now, they look for three true outcomes, home runs, walks, strikeouts. That's what the analytics people want. Also, pitching has gotten so good because the spin rate, it's almost impossible to hit. So the people that run baseball said this is not good for the game. There's no action in the game. Striking out is not action. And they looked into it, and the reason that pitchers are so unhittable now is they have such incredible spin rate. And the reason they have spin rate is because they use these substances that give them an unbelievable grip on the baseball. So it stays on the hand longer, and they could put more rotations on the ball, which makes the ball stay on the same plane or have a big break if it's a breaking ball. So baseball and its infinite wisdom decided to have, well, let's do it cold turkey. Let's just do it after two and a half months of the season, and hopefully it will reignite the offense. And so far, it has. And people have been using stuff on baseballs forever, Brian. And the reason they do it, the initial reason, is just to get a grip because baseballs are very slick, and it's hard to get a grip on the baseball. But people that are smart then started to weaponize it, increase the stick, and when you weaponize it, you increase the spin rate, and that makes you a better pitcher. So long answer to your question, baseball just decided now they're not going to have anything to get a better grip on ball other than rosin, including sunscreen. That's outlawed. And starting on Monday, anybody that's caught with it on their body or their belt or their hat 
they will be suspended for 10 games. So we'll see if the union's going to step up and try to help the pitchers to a degree because they say they have to approach the game entirely different, including Garrett Cole, arguably the best pitcher in baseball. So it's a fascinating news story that's emerged that has people outside baseball world talking. So, Michael, let's talk about your world. Before we, we know you on television, I uh, heard you on the radio for years. You got your great radio show on ESPN Radio. But first off, you talk about growing up in New York, and you knew right away you weren't going to be a pro player. But what did you want to do? Well, when I was about nine years old, and we lived about, I'd say, 10, 15 minutes away from Yankee Stadium, I was obsessed with the Yankees. So, as you mentioned, I knew I couldn't play well enough because I was afraid of getting hit by the pitch. I said, I want to be involved some way. And I told my parents, you know what, I want to be the Yankee announcer. And they looked at me, and to their everlasting credit they did not discourage me but they always kept saying you know go for whatever you want try but remember always have a fallback have other things that you can do in case it can't happen because they realized that the odds were astronomical and 30 years now i've been you know one of the either the radio or television voice of the yankees so to say i'm fortunate would be an understatement but you were a writer first. You always loved asking questions. You never uh, approached this job with, I know everything. You had the opposite approach. I want to learn everything. Yeah, I think, you know, the ability to have access to people and ask questions. I think my newspaper background has really helped me in broadcasting. You know, you should be curious because what you are is you're the eyes and the ears of the people that don't have the access. So you should ask the questions. I don't know. You know, why, you know, you can't hit a breaking ball. I don't know why you could make that catch in right field. They could tell us. So you're a conduit to tell the people exactly what's going on in the field. And I think that's an important role. So, uh, Michael, you say you're very honest in the book. It's really, it's excellent. Uh, most of the people I know and have had a chance to meet, but you bring a lot of, uh, when people sit down with you, as pointed out by Bob Costas in the forward, uh, people want to talk. It's almost, I'm here for therapy. I'm going to give you therapy. So you get everybody who's pretty much well-known, whether an actor or an athlete. And in some of the moments that you point out who decide to get in the book, you said you watch Howard Stern print some of his favorite interviews into a book, and you thought, I'm going to do that. Yeah, it happened through a, a real down part of my career. You know, if, I don't know if you remember, Brian, two years ago I had vocal cord surgery. I couldn't speak. So I was off the air and I'm watching people do my job and getting depressed. And I just read a lot. I couldn't even talk to my kids or my wife. So I just read. And one of the books I read was Howard Stern Comes Again, where he took little snippets of the interviews he's done over the years on radio and, you know, kind of explained, uh, you know, what was happening during those interviews. I said, you know what? We've done a lot of really good interviews on center stage. That'd be a good way to start a book. And, and this book is different than Howard's is that we run the entire interview, and then I lead into the interviews telling people how we got those guests, how those guests interacted with people when they weren't on stage, the backstory, reading between the lines. But uh, the inspiration for the book was a, you know, vocal cord surgery and Howard Stern. Very, and it's real interesting. So here's one of the moments from Center Stage, which you could see on the Yes Network, uh, where, you know, fans get to ask questions in front of a live audience. Here's Mike Tyson talking about his toughest opponent, Cut 45. Toughest fight you ever had? I don't know, Holyfield and Reader Ruddick. Favorite moment in your career? I don't know, Buster Douglas. Even though you lost? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why? Why, Michael? Because he got it, he tried to get up? He, you know, it tested him. And, and um, it's, it's funny that you, you play a snippet from that interview because I found this out about two weeks ago, so it's not even in the book. So Tyson goes on stage, Brian. And in that hour interview, he's crying. 
He's laughing. He goes between sad and happy. At times, I really thought he was going to hit me. The audience was on the edge of the seat. So then the show plays on Yes. And at the end of the show, Spike Lee was watching and calls up Mike Tyson and said, you see what you just did there? And he goes, yeah. He goes, that's a Broadway show. That's a one-man Broadway show, which I'm going to produce. And that turned out to be Mike Tyson on Broadway just because of that, that hour on center stage. And think about that. He's buried in debt. Uh, he's being honest about it. He's got a new wife. And between the discipline his wife gives and the relationship that they have, Spike Lee taking the initiative, I watched that at, at the Westbury Music Fair, and it was great. He was in the middle of center stage. He had the earpiece. His wife would help him out and be like a good producer that we both have, give him some information to keep the story moving. And he told his great story. It was the beginning of the revamp of Mike Tyson, and now the guy's even boxing again. I mean, the the excitement, Mike Tyson, exciting in the ring and out of the ring. I don't think we've seen anything like it. Yeah, it's an unbelievable story of redemption. You know, there were, there were times that he was a reviled human being. I mean, he was in jail for three years for rape. And, you know, he's completely reinvented himself. He's almost become lovable to some people. And he's like another guy in the book, Alex Rodriguez. You know, I, I, another story of redemption. You know, you hit rock bottom. Some people could choose to stay at rock bottom or climb their way out. And A-Rod's now become the face of baseball on Fox and ESPN. And Mike Tyson is this lovable person. So uh, I guess what this all tells you is you never really should count anybody out because everybody could rebound if they had the desire. You know, on the outside, people think we got it all together. You're rich, you're famous, you're successful, you have athletic success and maybe championships. But in A-Rod, you interviewed him when he was with the Rangers still, right? And you saw some vulnerability there, obviously, uh, being a pro at 18, not going to the University of Miami. He he talked about with you something I did not know, that he basically went to a hotel room, signed a pro contract, or else he was going to college and they would have had to wait three years. He never would have been in Seattle with Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, it's an amazing story. He was actually walking on campus at the University of Miami, and this was before cell phones, Brian. So somebody had to run and get him because once he would step into a classroom, he would be ineligible to sign. That's how close it came, and then they dragged him to a hotel room, and he signed the contract because the Mariners finally gave in and gave him the money that he wanted. But, you know, we we actually put that interview in the book. It was done in 2003 because it does show you the vulnerability, and if you read between the lines, it kind of foreshadows some of the things that had happened to him. And, you know, he tells stories about how, you know, his mom and, and him used to sit on the edge of the bed, and she'd come home from a long shift at a restaurant, they would count change, and that's how they would pay bills. And now this guy just spent $1.5 billion to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves. So it's an, it's an incredible life story, whether you like him or not. I mean, it's riveting what, what, what his life has become. It is true. And, of course, with uh, everyone's talking about J-Lo, that's what he mainstreamed. But he came, became a fantastic TV analyst, went from Fox to uh, ESPN. But Derek Jeter, during his playing days, was always the guy that he was never able to overshadow, despite his numbers many times, most times, being better. Here's a great moment, you calling Derek Jeter's 3,000s hit, cut 47. Did you pre-think that? It's so brilliant. You let it breathe. Do you hear the crowd? I didn't pre-think it, but you're going to think I'm a little bit of a weirdo, Brian. I, I, before that, obviously, I slept the night before, 
and I had a dream that he was going to hit his 3,000 uh, hit as a home run. And in my dream, I'm announcing it. And in my dream, I said history with an exclamation point. So when I woke up, I just thought, well, that was a weird dream. And then it unfolds in front of me. <laughs> and I never plan a call because I think you stumble over it when you plan it or write it ahead of time. And who could ever predict that he would hit a home run? And then when I see the ball going over the wall, it just came out of my mouth. History with an exclamation point. So kind of funky, kind of weird, but it did really happen. So I never had an interesting, uh, because I never broke through as friends with him that you probably did, but I never had an interesting conversation with Derek Jeter. He's always so guarded. Here's a moment him talking about himself uh, on your show in 2003 uh, about his parents. Cut 48. Is it true that you and your, your sister, Charlie, actually had to sign a contract each year? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I used to. I, I didn't like that too much. We sat down, and my, my parents used to make these contracts. Was this in January each year? This was right before school starts, so right at the end of the summer. Okay. And they'd map out everything. you got to get this grade. you got to make sure you're involved in these things in sports, and you can't play unless your grade point average is at this. And we had curfews and what time. I was always trying to negotiate the curfew. That's, that's the only <laughs> thing I used to fight. But then we'd sign it at the before we went to school, and we'd have to stick to it. Describe the Derek Jeter you know. I mean, obviously, great parents and a great athlete leads to a great person and a Hall of Famer, now an owner of the Marlins. I think, you know, just in, in meeting people over the years, Brian, I'm sure that you've had the same experience. People really are a product of their upbringing, and, you know, if, if you're raised well, you, you're probably going to turn out pretty well. Uh, and his parents are extraordinary people. And he mirrors them. And I just remember when he got drafted by the Yankees, uh, he came to Yankee Stadium as an 18-year-old. He had his parents. And the, the manager of the Yankees at that time was Buck Showalter. And I asked Buck Showalter, I said, well, what do you think? He goes, well, I mean, the scouts say he's going to be a good player. I don't know. I've never seen him. But I will tell you this. I said, what? He said, he will never in his life embarrass the New York Yankees. I said, well, how do you know that? He said, I've met the parents. He said, you are what your parents are. He, he said, they will never allow their son to embarrass the Yankees. And as far as Derek, he's one guy that he was able to conquer New York, never embarrass himself, his family, his name, or the Yankees. I don't know how he did it. He obviously had an active social life. He never alienated anybody or made anybody angry. And the way he handled the media, I mean, it should be taught in journalism classes. I, I don't know how he did it. He never, ever said the wrong thing. And the best way I explain it, and I always use this, is that if you knocked on Derek Jeter's door, he would talk to you through the screen for three hours, but he would never ask you in the house. So he would give you just enough, but he's never, ever going to expose himself where it could hurt him. Right. I mean, you talk to the interesting people uh, in New York, and you don't make yourself the story. I think that's why Center Stage works and your book works. But you have uh, Jay-Z, Snoop Dogg, John McEnroe, Serena Williams, Larry David, Seth Meyers, Charles Barkley, all in this book. Uh, you chronicle the interviews. One of the most interesting things that people uh, kept getting in his own way his whole life, and I hope he turned the corner. My fingers are crossed is Doc Gooden. Despite the problems he's had since being a star at 19, and he still liked Tyson, very interesting interview. Uh, here's a little of the excerpt from 2016. Uh, this is uh, Cut 51. Did you ever think that using the drugs compromised your talents on the mound? I think it took a, took part. It definitely played a part. I don't think it was 100% it, but it definitely played a part because after a while, your work, habit, your, your work ethics change, um, your thinking or setting hitters up, everything starts changing. You're not aware of that. And the toll on your body for bouncing back from injuries, your recovery period, because being a power pitcher, it takes a while a bit. You have to put in extra work, and then 
it starts changing. And then, you know, you can't use because they're testing you, so you drink more. So all these different things taking a toll. You're, not a, you're aware of it, but you're not aware of it. You're in denial, basically. So that's the type of intimate details you get uh, among the most well-known well names in the country. Michael, congratulations on everything. The best is yet to come on your career, your radio show, being the Yankees broadcaster, and now an author, Center Stage, my most fascinating interviews. It's excellent, Michael. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ryan. You've always been so kind. I appreciate your time. All right. I'll see you hopefully at the stadium because we're allowed to go watch games again. Michael Kay, thank you. Back in a moment. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.